right, guys, here we go. Um, I have a lot of ground to cover, and so we're going to launch into this because I have a task of introducing this next series and starting the first lesson in this new series today. Uh, I came across a book uh, a couple of weeks ago. The title intrigued me, so um, I, I picked it up off of, uh, off of Kindle, and um, it's already, uh, it's offended me. I'll just go ahead and tell you all that. It's offended me, so I'm going to offend you all. It's going to be uh, how it rolls. I wish Jesus hadn't said that. Ten things that Jesus said that I really would rather he just had, had kept to himself. Um, and I'm going to tell you all right now, it, it will uh, it'll definitely get all up in your business. Um, if somebody would close that door, that would be great. So look, uh, let's face it. Following Jesus can be rather inconvenient at times. We, we know that's true because Jesus just steps into our world and he asks us for more than just a few songs on Sunday and a few bills in the offering plate. Uh, you might think you can get by with that, but he's not at all satisfied with that. He wants more than that. But the problem isn't with Jesus. The problem lies with our contemporary culture. Uh, we are driven by this desire to secure our own happiness. Y'all are going to see a lot of layover, crossover between this and and Craig Rochelle's weird. Uh, But we pursue things we want so that we can have status, so that we can look good and we can feel good. Okay, We pursue relationships we want in order to have a fulfilling and satisfying life. We pursue things that, I mean, there's no inherent evil in things like health or wealth or just general prosperity. There's nothing wrong with that. And mostly we get along with the people who like us. And I see no reason to get along with people who don't like me. Right? If someone steals from me or tries to do me physical harm, I have no problem seeing them convicted. Or standing up for my rights, and I would wager that most of you in here have no problem with that either. We, we Christians, buy into a way of seeing the world that is basically aligned with the world's ideas of what is necessary, what's reasonable, and what's worth having. We decide what is plausible, what makes sense. And we come to grips with a sensible, plausible, doable approach to life based on what we want and how best to get it. I'll pause for comment. I'll say that again. We come to grips, we settle on a sensible, plausible approach to life that's based on what we want and how best to get it. I've got some bad news. The things that Jesus said in the Bible turned this sensible, plausible approach to life that we've settled on, on their respective heads. Turns it upside down. Each one of the sayings of Jesus that we're going to look at over the next few weeks are going to shake us up and reveal ways in which most of the time... We don't take Jesus seriously. 
at least not at a functional level. We might read them. We might think that, wow, that, that's really good. We might even feel a little convicted. But have we engaged them on a level that prompts real action on our part? Because the fact is that many people do follow Jesus, despite the inconvenience of his words and the very demanding aspect of his presence in our lives. Something drives us to follow Jesus. Whatever the cost, there's something in us that keeps us, something there that keeps us engaged. And there are people that have paid heavy prices for following Jesus. So there, there's something there that, that keeps people engaged and, and on that road. The sayings that we're going to look at are probably going to cause you to do the same things that I did, which is to sigh, shake your head, maybe even groan a little in here and say, I really wish Jesus had not said that. But hopefully by the time we finish uh, each week, you'll be able to say it this way. I wish Jesus hadn't said that, but I'm really glad he did. I'm really glad that Jesus did call me to follow him. I'm really glad that Jesus did spell out what it means to be his. I'm really glad Jesus did say all of those things that invade my private life. That break into my choices I'm really glad that Jesus did say the things that turn me and my lifestyle upside down. So I wish he hadn't said these things. But in the end, I hope we'll say I'm, I'm glad he did. Why? Why, Jason? Why in the world would I be glad about such disruption? I mean, we've been down this road before. I mean, life's hard enough as it is. Why would I want somebody to say this stuff and, and, and to engage this stuff that's just going to turn everything on its side? Because it's in that process of disruption that we discover something we would never discover otherwise. And that's this, that Jesus really is everything we could ever need. And he really is the source of true fulfillment. It's in going through this stuff that we wish he hadn't said that we find that and we discover that. So here we go. The first thing that I wish... Jesus hadn't said, is deny yourself and take up your cross. I wish Jesus hadn't said that. I don't think I'm on my own whenever I say that sometimes I just want to be left alone to live my life. Get on with life the way I prefer to live it. I just, I want to do my own thing and for you to leave me alone, just don't hold me accountable to things. Just let me live my life. To quote one of the greatest philosophers of our modern age, and by that, of course, I mean John Bon Jovi, he said, it's my life. It's now or never. I ain't going to live forever. I just want to live while I'm alive. My heart is like an open highway. Like Frankie said, I did it my way. 
I just want to live while I'm alive. It's my life. Now, of course, we don't really want to ditch Jesus completely. Okay, I mean, most of us like being a part of the Jesus Club. We're glad, at least I am, that He died for my sins. I'm glad that He died for my sins. And I appreciate everything that He's done, but then we just kind of carry on our sweet little way. But if all we say we know about Jesus is true, how can we do that? How can I, I carry on my sweet little way? How can I continue to live my life the way I want to live it? Whenever I say, Jesus is God made flesh. Jesus is the only one who can save me from my sin. Jesus is the one by whom, for whom, and through whom all things were made. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords who will return and reign in glory. Right? So, how then and why do we dismiss Him so easily and so frequently? Why do we choose to ignore those harder things that He had to say? Well, I'm going to propose that it's a calculated decision. We make a calculated decision to ignore the stuff that Jesus said that we don't particularly want to live out. <clears throat> Allow me to explain. All we want is the good life. We want lives that are enjoyable and fulfilling. And sure, we recognize, and we'll even say that life can't always be good. I mean, that's just unrealistic, right? We know that. We'll even say that. Life can't always be good, yet we get dejected, despondent, and depressed when they're not. So what is this good life that we talk about? I think if you boil it down, you can choose to disagree. And if, if you do disagree, go ahead. And we can do that here. But I think it boils down to this. The good life is getting what I want. When I get what I want, that's good life. When, when we get what we want, we're happy and generally content. As long as we get what we want, life is good until we want something else. So what do you imagine would give you the good life? It's not a trick question. I mean, it's, and there's stuff in there that's not necessarily bad. I mean, what would you say? Health? Family? A job you like? Okay. I mean, be a little more materialistic. Sometimes I want those shoes. A new car. A nicer house. I mean, those are... Peace, children, a spouse, family, friends, excitement, adventure, another church, a different church, season tickets. I mean, come on now. That's good life stuff. 
But guys, in spite, we will all say that things and stuff won't make us happy. But yet we still live as if things and stuff is what's going to make us happy. At least it will make us happier than we are today. Right? So it's, it's like we're a bunch of moles just forever down there digging and, and tunneling away for that, that next thing that's going to make us happy and give us the good life. And we find ourselves in the state of being content with our discontent. Just obediently struggling along, digging away, reaching for the next thing. Then Jesus comes along and, and stands in our way on purpose. It's, it's not an accident. Jesus strides into my world like Marshawn Lynch in beast mode and says, Jason, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. What exactly does that even mean? Well, let me set the stage for you. We'll talk about it in just a minute, but... Jesus told His disciples to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Me uh, in Mark chapter 8. Now, if you read Mark 8, Jesus did several things at the beginning of that chapter. Uh, He fed 4,000 people with seven loaves and a few fish. He told the Pharisees where to get off whenever they asked Jesus for a sign from heaven. You know, prove to us that you're Messiah, show us a sign from heaven. He healed a blind man in Bethsaida by spitting in his eyes. Uh, weird, and he had just given his, uh, and this is like holy cow stuff for us Pentecostals, he had just given his disciples a pop quiz about who he was. Who do men say that I am? Right? We, we all know that one, and Peter gets the right answer. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are, you are Messiah. So it's at that point that Jesus just starts blowing their, their theology out of, out of water. Because for the disciples... Messiah meant what? Come on now, these were Jews under Roman rule, guys. Think a little bit here. What did Messiah mean to them? Yeah, it's going to be, you know, bloody swords and battle and victory and Jerusalem and and reigning and escape from oppression. And, you know, it's going to be SEAL Team 6 takes down Bin Laden. Let's go, Jesus, Messiah. That's what that word meant to them. But instead of all that, Jesus starts telling them, look, you know, being Messiah is really all about being misunderstood, being rejected, suffering, and death. So it's no wonder that Peter objected. Lord, he, Scripture says in the New Living Translation that he reprimanded Jesus. You know, Jesus, you really shouldn't be saying these things. But if Peter thought that a suffering Christ was bad news, if he thought Jesus saying, hey, I am Messiah, and Messiah means suffering and death, if he thought that was bad news, things were about to go downhill faster than Jack and Jill in their failed water collecting initiative. Listen to this in Mark, and this is at the end of Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verses 32 through 34. 
It says, as he talked, op- uh, talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. Now watch this. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then, watch this, calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. So you want to follow me? Do you? Jesus asks. So I want us to slow down. Just a little bit here, folks. Because Jesus isn't just addressing this little ragtag group of 12 disciples here. He said this to the whole crowd. He's talking to every aspiring follower of Messiah ever. Up to this point, I mean, who wouldn't want to follow this miracle-working, blind-eye-opening, Pharisee-defying world-traveling, globe-trotting Jesus. I mean, he's cool. I mean, yeah, I want, I want to follow that Jesus. That's no problem. But Jesus is about to drop just a very unapologetic atomic bomb into the life of every follower and every believer. You want to follow me? We'll just know right here from the start then. Following me involves two essential elements. Self-denial and cross-carrying. We live, we know this, we live in an age of instant gratification, right? And denial only exists as a river in Egypt. Our Our culture constantly reinforces to us that we should go after everything we want. Deny yourself nothing because you deserve it. You stuck in your marriage? Leave it. Want that promotion? Go for it. Don't want that baby? Abort it. Want to take that vacation? Credit card it. Spend your life fulfilling your desires. That's what our culture tells us. And increasingly... The list of things that are taboo is getting smaller and smaller. And it's in this cultural context of getting what we want, when we want it, it, that makes Jesus' words about denial sting so much. What what is self-denial? I mean, come on guys, what what does that mean to you? Jesus said, deny yourself. What does that mean? 21 days of sacrifice. Grace Lent. Here we go. <laughs> Come on. What does that mean, self-denial? All right, so I, I don't want to mess up the class. <laughs> but I usually do, so just deal with it. The, it sounds to me like, Mr. Cooper, that you are propagating the fact that we should not be happy. Mm. And that if we're happy, we should probably deny ourselves that happiness and find a cross to go carry. Okay. So tell me why that's not true. Can I get to the end first and you say that again? You have to ask a question. Yeah. Ask a question you don't want to answer. No, I do want to answer it, but I feel like the rest of the I feel like the rest of the lesson does address that because I I do not believe that God is saying if you're happy, then you're not living it right. That's not what I'm saying at all. I don't mean I'm just picking on you about the All right. Um, but 
if we haven't really addressed that question adequately, let's come back to it at the end. I, because I feel like that's a very valid point. I mean, I do think that God wants us to be happy and he does want us to be fulfilled. But what is, what are we defining as happiness and fulfillment? The source of your happiness. Okay. That's a good seed. Uh-huh. And how does he think? Not like me. Not like me. And we're going to get there in just a minute, but I think one of the major differences between how I think and, and you think and how God thinks is he's got an eternal perspective, and I do not. I've got a 120-year perspective, because that's how long I'm going to live. Right. I throw in kind of going what he's saying when he says about denying yourself. Um, could it mean that deny yourself and say you have a burden, whatever your cross is, the burden, your whatever your goal is for God, you're denying yourself the time that you would normally spend somewhere else, mm-hmm. somewhere else okay. to focus on your, uh, your task or talent that God has given by meaning against your cross. All right. I'm going to throw this out there as a, um, as a working definition of self-denial uh, that hopefully we can rubber stamp and move on, but we can talk about it. I, I think you can come up with a really long definition of self-denial, but I think really it comes down to saying no to my desire to rule my own life. Whether it's my time, my resources, what's fulfilling me and making me happy. Whenever I say no to ruling my own life. But if, if I understand, I'm not saying that we should not allow God to rule our lives. But in the old practical, you know, day-to-day sense, if we don't rule it, who's going to rule it? I'm serious. Okay. Um, I think it's kind of like the king and the governor kind of thing, you know. He's the king, but he's given me responsibility over this. And so I have to do that. The governor this. rules but, the state. But, but if you do something wrong, then the king's going to get you as the governor. Oh, is that how it is? Whatever. <laughs> You don't take your funding. If you're doing a good job, then you are trying to align yourself with the Kind of the way the priest talked when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> He's hammer boy. Self denial is ultimately going to be submission. Maybe not. Um, and, and maybe I'm, I've been portraying it wrong, a total relinquishing of the wheel and, okay, I'm not going to steer this car, and if you really do want me to get to church on Sunday morning, Jesus, then you're going to steer it. That's, I mean, yes, there's, there's got to be practical, practical governance and rulership, yes. But with that practical governance and rulership and making the choices, there is submission to a will that is greater than my own. Instead of my will superseding in every and being first in every life choice, there's another will that I submit to. Um, there's an acceptance, I guess, to a degree and of maybe not acceptance, but a balancing of, I don't even know that I like that word, but I'll go with it for right now uh, because Brian's put me on the spot, of what I consider joy and contentment and what he gives as joy joy and contentment. Um, Whenever whenever temptation says, Jason, you know you want it, and I say no, that's self-denying. Whenever uh, the flesh says, 
you know you've earned it. And you say no. That's self-denial. Not just saying no for the sake of saying no, but for the, saying no for the sake of it's His will that's going to supersede mine. Now, I, I know that some of y'all are thinking right now, because I, I thought it myself, wow, Jason, this self-denial stuff, this sounds really awesome and fun, and I can't wait to get in on that deal. How do I do it? Uh, well, hold on just a minute. Um, <laughs> because this, this call to self-denial, is, uh, it's not a call uh, to a life of tedium and abstinence. It's way worse than that. <laughs> It's way more costly because Jesus talks about self-denial and cross-carrying. That image of carrying a cross would have been something that was very vivid for those men back then. For that crowd that he he was talking to. Because the, the cross meant torture. It meant suffering it meant death i mean <laughs> we talked about earlier forget our 21 days of grace lent okay this cross carrying stuff goes way way beyond that it's it's uh <laughs> it's not just saying no to chocolate for 3 weeks or some of us that really sacrifice not just saying no to bread for 3 weeks This cross-carrying stuff is to say yes even to death. Following Jesus ultimately means denying yourself the right to life itself. That's how total it is. Deciding to follow Jesus is saying, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, and that means I know that it's not my life anymore. It's yours to do with as you please. And by deciding to follow you, I am surrendering all self-control and self-determination and accepting that you may ask me to suffer, be tortured, and maybe even die for that decision. And I find it very interesting that that is not in the small print at the bottom of the contract. Jesus spelled out the cost of following him in great big 72 point bold type from the very beginning. Because remember, it's not just the disciples. Jesus called the whole crowd in to hear these words, not just the disciples. So this life-sacrificing, cross-carrying stuff isn't like some special intensive course that's just for the extra committed people. This is discipleship at its most basic. This is the first time, guys, at least in the book of Mark, it's the first time Jesus talks about discipleship. And this is the first thing that He says about discipleship. And he says it to all of the prospective followers that were there that day. He says, this is the only kind of Christianity that there is. 
There is no other type of Christianity. You want to be a follower of me? Two things. Self-denial and cross-carry. Is this what you signed up for whenever you decided to follow Jesus? Yeah. I don't get to cherry pick what it means to be Christian. To be Christ like, right? Christian, Christ like, like Christ. I don't get to cherry pick and say, well, hey, I want that part, but I don't really care for that other stuff. We don't, we don't get the chance to do that. So maybe if, I, if I'm not willing to do that, then maybe I just need to get out while I'm still alive. Here's the deal, and Brian and I had this great conversation at Starbucks the other day, and I, I've just been playing that back of that whole conversation over in my mind, and just how blessed I felt to just to be there and talk about the things that we talked about, and to be able to share that type of fellowship and, and, and all that stuff. And it's easy for me to sit in the chair at, at Starbucks while I'm sipping on my, my chai latte and say... Jesus, I will follow you. I I am with you. Even if it means death, I'm there. Or to sit in my living room whenever i got my laptop stand and I'm typing away, getting my lesson ready, and i got my cup of coffee right there, and Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I mean, it's cool, Jesus. Whatever you decide, it's okay. Totally cool with it. But how do I know, whenever push comes to shove, that my life is really expendable, for the sake of the gospel. I mean, I might be all Marine, SWAT team, righteous, gung-ho, guts and bravery about how faithful I'm going to be, but how do I know? Frankly, I mean, I don't. Honestly, I don't. But I'll put this out there. I think I can get a sense of how willing I would be to die for Jesus tomorrow by looking at what I'm willing to endure or let go of today. I thought that was kind of neat, so I'm going to say it again. I think you can get a good sense of whether you would be willing to die for Jesus tomorrow by examining what you are willing to endure or let go of today. So let me get all up in your business. And if I offend you with a few of these, good, because they offended me. If I'm not prepared to miss my favorite TV show to go visit the lonely old man that lives next door to me, then I'm not prepared to carry a cross. If I'm not going to give up my bed to go serve someone, then I can be certain I'm not going to give up my own life. If I won't pursue people who are different from me in order to be a blessing to them, I certainly won't 
sacrifice my life. If I won't give up a vacation to support someone's missionary ministry, I can be certain I'm not going to pick up a cross. If I won't jeopardize a friendship or risk rejection or ruin my street cred so that I can tell somebody else about Jesus, I can be 100% certain that I'm not going to be willing to give up my life. Every time I say no to something I want or something that I regard as my right, hold on to it with white knuckles, or say no to something that I enjoy for the sake of Jesus and the gospel, then I am taking up my cross and dying to myself. And it's only as we learn to die in these little moments of daily existence that we're going to be prepared to to give up our lives in that big moment of crisis that's undoubtedly coming. If we won't say no now, we'll never say no then. And if I won't give up my life for Jesus who gave everything for me, then I might as well come clean and walk away now. But before we come clean and walk away, I want to look at one more thing. Mark chapter 8, verse 38. Jesus said, If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when He returns in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. Remember that calculated decision that I mentioned earlier? Jesus is calling that calculated decision into question right here. He is, he is calling everybody to make a calculated decision not based on what we consider the good life and whatever all that entails. He's calling us to make a calculated decision, who said it earlier, based on eternity. Jesus is calling us to readjust our desires and calling our hearts to be consumed by the joy that will be ours in that moment. That whenever it is, whenever He returns in the glory, in His glory with the holy angels. Jesus is saying, okay, let me break it down for you. Which one do you want more? Your version of the good life or mine? Boil it all down to that right there. Which one do you want more? C.S. Lewis, he said it best, and I love this. I'm just going to read it to you exactly the way he said it. C.S. Lewis said, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a vacation at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. End quote. He says, we are exchanging the joy of... And man, I love the beach in small doses. But that, that endless white sand and the pounding surf and that smell and the breeze, and man, it's just like... Something just changes in you whenever you're at the beach. Jesus is saying, you're exchanging that for playing in a mud puddle. 
He's calling us to a better life. The life that we were meant to live. The life that we were designed to live. The life that we were created to live. Not this life, this fleshy mess. It's way bigger than that. An eternal life. Those things, guys, that we demand in order to bring us the good life, they're always going to disappoint us. Often we want things that are objectively good, like health or family or marriage or peace and satisfaction. But whenever we demand those things in order to feel happy, we're, just, we're bound to be disappointed. Why? Because they cannot live up to the longing that is in you. It's not a longing for the stuff of this world. It is a longing that is for heaven. And heaven only can fulfill it. That is only going to be satisfied by Jesus in your eternal home. Yes. I'm going to bring this in for a landing right now. Jesus calls us to give up our ambitions and our petty pursuits for His plan. He calls us to submit the genuinely good things that we've talked about to Him. Even our lives to Him. But that He doesn't make that call so that we live some type of impoverished, miserable, stingy, depressing life now. That call is so that we can live the life that we were always meant to live and designed to live. That's the, the really, really good life. We say that we believe Jesus is the source of all joy and all fulfillment and hope and love and power and all that stuff, all beauty. That's Jesus, right? Well, if that's true, then giving up everything to gain Jesus is gaining everything. I thought that was clever, so I'm going to say that again. If all that stuff is true about what Jesus is and who He really is, then giving up all of this stuff that we say is the good life so that we can gain Jesus is gaining everything. I can't, as much as I would like to, I cannot cut this out of my Bible. Jesus definitely said, if you want to follow me, Jason, you've got to deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. And it's in your Bible too, and you can't cut it out. Do I still wish Jesus hadn't said that? Honestly, sometimes, yes. But I'm really glad He did. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You so much for, um, for Your Word.